0: Welcome to Bible Study. This is Nick Rita, your host, and I'm so happy to have you with us today. Thank you for uh, tuning in. I would like to also welcome our panel via Zoom and uh, some far away from us. Uh, And I'm starting with uh, Helen from Mount Gambier. Helen, it's good to have you joining us today.
1: Thank you, Nick. Great to be here. Looking forward to the study.
0: And also I'd like to welcome uh, for the first time with us uh, for this format, Bible study, Dr. Marek. Good to have you with us. Thank you, Nick.
2: Enjoy the the study of the Bible. Enjoy uh, being with you. And uh,
0: also, Lija. thank you for um, being with us also today.
3: Very privileged to study God's Word together. Praise the Lord for that.
0: And Will is the facilitator for um, this time and we'll thank you so much for um, putting together all this material and um, welcome to the program.
4: Thank you, Nick, and it is a pleasure to be part of a Bible study at any
0: time. I would like to hand it to you right now if you like to take us through.
4: Sure. In an age when people all over the world are distancing themselves more and more from the established church and its organizations. It seems clear that a larger percentage of the population are feeling that traditional religion just doesn't cut it with them. It just doesn't seem to relate to the real needs they experience in the complex society in which we find ourselves. We would like to address this in our Bible study today, but first, uh, Helen, we'd like to ask you to lead us in this practical Bible approach to the the challenge.
1: Thank you, Will. Let's pray. Dear loving Heavenly Father, we are so grateful that we can meet, so grateful that um, you, listener, are there online with us. And we just pray the Holy Spirit will be in our hearts, in our minds, that the words that we hear today will come from you and through your, your word and that we will understand them. Father, you know the needs of every listener. You know the needs of the panel. And we just pray that you'll be with each one of us. We ask that we can bring glory and honour and praise to you and you alone today, we ask in thy name. Amen.
4: Amen. Amen. The inspired word of God gives strong evidence that Jesus genuinely cared for the people. He was more interested in their concerns and needs than his own. His life being totally centred on other people. His life was a ministry of loving compassion, walking among men, and we find him consciously meeting the physical, mental and emotional needs of so many people around him. That led them to open their hearts to the spiritual truths that he taught. And as he healed lepers, opened blind eyes, unstopped deaf ears, delivered demoniacs, fed the hungry and cared for the needy, hearts were touched. Lives were changed. You know, panel, knowing this today, how Jesus worked, I wonder how do we relate his method of ministry, to our task today of carrying the message of the gospel to the world.
0: Interesting. Well, um, we are talking about uh, how can we minister like Jesus? And he's the ultimate example for us all how to live a very practical uh, spiritual Christian life. And in Matthew chapter 9 verse 36, we read this passage here. But when he saw the multitudes, he was moved with compassion for them, because they were weary and scattered like sheep, having no shepherd. You know, people couldn't help noticing his genuine concern. This made them open to the spiritual truths that he taught. How amazingly is to know and to understand that we are not just to share a message, but we are here to connect with. People. And you may heard about this uh, phrase, Christ method alone. If you haven't heard this, it's important to think of few uh, steps here, how Jesus ministered. And um, he constantly was reaching out to people. The savior mingled with men as one who desired their good. He showed his sympathy for them, ministered for their needs and One, their confidence. Then he bade them follow me. How a beautiful example is here. And for me to easily understand this principle, I'm using kind of a formula. And I call that the four S's formula. When Jesus socialized with people first, sympathized with them, serve them in order to save them. Wow always remember this uh, principle of Jesus by using these four S's and um, I believe uh, Will and the panel and all those of you listening today is that we need to look at Jesus to understand how to reach out on other people and help.
1: Nick, I really enjoyed that, the, especially the four S's. Mm. Thank you so much for sharing that with us. I'll try and remember it. Um, when you were talking about um, Jesus having compassion, I remember reading somewhere where it said he was overwhelmed with compassionate pity for the people. Mm-hmm. You know, sometimes we can be compassionate, but are we actually overwhelmed with that compassion? But, you know, Jesus recognised that, the world needed a demonstration of the gospel as much as it needs its proclamation. It's all very well for us to shout from the rooftops, but unless we are living the life of a Christian, how can we be a good witness? Mm. You know, it'd be like the Pharisees having the, um, what's that, that phrase? Denying the power thereof inside them he recognized that the living witness of christ-like life committed to ministering to others is a powerful testimony to the words that we speak and gives credibility to our witness i often see that in home life sadly there are children that turn away because in the church people can put on a really good mask but sometimes in the home where you need to be that christian Sometimes it's not the same, which is a shame. Mm. You know, in a letter written by a devout woman to a pastor in 1888, there is touching counsel I'd like to share with you. It says, look to Jesus that you may catch his spirit, cherish the qualities of Christ-like character, then it will be recognised by all who have any connection with us. Never rest until you possess our loving and lovable spirit. There is a difference between loving and lovable. It's worth thinking about. No other influence that can surround the human soul has such power as the influence of an unselfish life. The strongest argument in favour of the gospel is a loving and lovable Christian. Somebody might appear to be loving, but they're certainly not lovable. We need both.
4: Mm, Absolutely. The only success to ministry is being more like Jesus. You know, I think that that this challenge for the church Yes, this is where the rubber hits the road for any denomination wishing to share the gospel. We need to carefully learn from Jesus how he related to others. I read uh, recently that uh, talking about people going overseas to the Holy Lands, wanting to be where Jesus uh, walked, I read a little statement which I'd like to share. Mm -hmm. Many feel that it would be a great privilege to visit the scenes of Christ's life on earth, to walk where he trod to look upon the lake beside which he loved to teach, and the hills and the valleys on which his eyes so often rested. But we need not go to Nazareth, to Capernaum, or to Bethany, in order to walk in the steps of Jesus. We shall find his footprints beside the sickbed, in the hovels of poverty, in the crowded alleys of the great city, and in every place where there are human hearts in need, in need of consolation, in doing As Jesus did on earth, we shall be walking in his footsteps. And so this more or less summarizes it for me. What do we learn really then from looking at the life of Christ? What do we learn from studying him and how do we reach out in his manner? That's wonderful. It's interesting, Will, you, you
2: mentioned visiting the Holy Land. I've had the opportunity to be there several times, to walk by the lake, to, to sit on the mountainside, to visit Jerusalem and so forth. It's interesting how people feel that as part of their spiritual journey, they need to literally visit some of those places. But I, I love the counsel of, uh, of John in First John chapter 2 and 6, where he says anyone who claims to live in Christ must walk as Jesus did. Not where Jesus walked, but must walk as Jesus did. Yes. And, uh, and I think that's where the emphasis needs to be. Just having the wonderful example of Christ reflected in some of the stories that are presented in, uh, in the New Testament is truly inspiring because as we look at those examples, we can see that he loved people unconditionally. Now, humanly, that's impossible to do. Prejudice, stereotypes always seem to influence the way we look at people. We tend to prejudge people. Uh, yet Christ was able to love people unconditionally, and that was so reflected when he mixed with uh, with uh, various types. We think of the woman Samaritan woman at the well. Most Jews would not associate with Samaritans. We look at the little reception that Matthew provided for Christ in his home, and uh, Matthew being a text collector, was really regarded as, as one of the low individuals in, uh, in, in, in that particular culture. And so when the Pharisees looked at Jesus associating with these people, he said, this man receives sinners and eats with them. They were absolutely disgusted. For them to live a holy life meant not associating with any of these low types, the, the, these kind of downcasts. And yet, Christ, in showing these people love, ultimately produced some of the most effective evangelists. Just look at the work that the Samaritan woman did, or, or Matthew, or, or the demoniac who was possessed by demons uh, uh, and so forth. Look at Mary, who who out of whom Christ uh, drove out demons and so forth. The love that she showed to the Savior and the love that was reflected in her ministry after he uh, he died, just shows us that when we approach people with that kind of love, when we attempt to love them unconditionally, that love can potentially change their lives so significantly that these individuals ultimately become some of the best evangelists. It's these individuals that sense their need of a Savior. And so when people criticized him for associating with with sinners and eating with sinners, Christ said, it's not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners. If that love has any influence over our lives, we should really do exactly the same and follow in the footsteps of Christ. So I I absolutely love these examples
4: here. Lovely. Thank you, um, Marek.
3: Jesus speaks of himself, of being the light of the world. And there is a text in John chapter 8, verse 12, and it reads When Jesus spoke again to the people, he said, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. So Jesus is the light of the world this is what he says about himself that he breaks through the darkness of people's misunderstanding about who god is and the nature of his character their minds that are darkened with a misunderstanding of god are illuminated by the holy spirit through the word of god so because jesus is the light of the world We know that light does not avoid darkness, but it shines in the darkness. It does not separate from the darkness, but it penetrates darkness, making the darkness light. And the example for us is that Jesus instructed us, and we have to take his examples, to be his followers, that we are to penetrate the darkness of this world in our neighborhood, in the towns and the cities and villages, and to enlighten people with the glory of his holy word, to meet Jesus through his word.
4: There is, in fact, uh, two uh, metaphors that used by Jesus describe uh, his followers in Matthew chapter 5. And um, I'd like uh, like to um, address the question to you, uh, Nick. What are these metaphors and what do they really mean to us today?
0: Yes, well, um, first of all, in Matthew chapter 5, uh, I used to, you know, uh, 5, 6 and 7 to memorize this, uh, the whole three chapters, because particularly in Matthew 5, it's an amazing uh, chapter. And um, As Jesus is teaching his disciples, you know, and you have that famous gathering around him, you know, uh, on the mountain and uh, uh, Jesus uh, sharing with the disciples the gospel, the good news and equipping them. And one of the things which Jesus is mentioning here in verses 13 to 16 uh, says this, you are the salt of the earth, but if the salt loses its flavor, how shall it be? seasoned it is then good for nothing but to be thrown out and trampled underfoot by men when i look at this um, example will and, uh, and panel i remember a story which i would like just very briefly tell you that little story the story goes like like there was a king and has three daughters three lovely daughters, and uh, one day he asked the oldest daughter, "And how much do you love me? And the daughter comes and said, oh, Daddy, I love you like all the honey in the world. You know, and goes to the second daughter and said, what about you? And said, oh, Daddy, I, like, I love you like all the sugar in the world. And he went to the younger one and said, what about you? And she said, Daddy, I like you like all the salt in the food, you know? And she said, what? You know, the salt, you know, you know how salt is. You take a bit of salt on your mouth and you throw it out, you know, and said, what? You know what? You are not going to be at my palace here. Go in the dungeons there. You will be a servant from now on. And he dismissed her, you know, and she was doing her work as a servant. But one day, um prince from a neighboring uh, kingdom, you know, met her and fell in love with her. And uh, he wanted to marry her and find out in the end that um, she's a princess, and uh, he wanted to invite uh, her parents to the wedding. And they came to the wedding, and um, the bride said, okay, i like my parents to sit in that place, and I'd like you to feed them with food, with no salt in the food. <laughs> and they did. And, uh, you know, the king... Uh, he had the first third, you know, and he said, Oh, something weird here. I think, I think this uh, neighbor king, uh, he's really wanted to show me something. He doesn't love me, you know, and he ate and, you know, didn't say anything and come the second and so on. And the same and the same. And after that, he had enough. I said, I like to speak. I said, how can I be treated this way? My food, it's, I, I can see everyone is enjoying their food and my food, it's not tasty at all. Mm-hmm. In, uh, in the end, you know, uh, the girl revealed herself. And um, just to cut the story short, she reminded him how much she loved him, Mm. like all the salt in the food. And, you know, if we don't act like salt in food to really season everything what surrounds us, then this parable here can be so true and uh, negatively or positively. In our life, I really like that uh, passage in the Bible, and I thought I'll just show, uh, share with you that little story. Also, from verse uh, 14 in Matthew 5, it says that you are the light of the world. A city that is set on a hill cannot be hidden. Nor do they, uh, they light a lamp to put it under a basket, but on a lampstand, and it gives light to all who are in the house. Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven.
1: Can I just add to your illustration, Nick? I I loved your story. Thank you. Add to the illustration of salt salt was one of the most important resources in the ancient world Mm. extremely valuable at times the roman legion used it as a currency symbol of great wealth it was also used to preserve and flavor food as you mentioned and when jesus used the illustration of salt to symbolize his followers he was really saying that the true wealth of the world is not the world's most powerful and richest people The true wealth of the world is committed Christians who are making a difference for the kingdom of God. Their loving acts of unselfish service preserve the world's goodness and flavor in its atmosphere. You know, if seasoning has no flavor, it has no value. Mm. And likewise, if Christians make no effort to affect the world around them, they have little value in God's work. If we are too much like the world, we're worthless. Christians should not blend in with everyone else. Instead, we should affect others positively, just as seasoning brings out the best of flavor in food. The Bible does use this imagery of salt to illustrate the role of Christian witnesses in the world. Salt is not going to give food much flavor if it stays in the salt shaker. It's only as salt is added to food that it can give flavor and preserve it. You know, a few years ago, I read Rebecca Manley Pippet's book and titled Out of the Salt Shaker, and I would recommend it. It's a fantastic book. In it, she presents evangelism not as an event but as a way of life. The book's central theme is simple. If you're going to make an impact on the world around you, get involved in people's lives. Christians who remain together in the comfortable confines of their churches and have little contact with the world will have little opportunity and have little contact with the world, will have little opportunity to influence for Christ. I read this uh, little quote by Mark Finley, which I thought was quite good. He said, I was teasing my wife the other day and said, I'm tempted to write a new book titled Why I Am Leaving the Church. She immediately responded, what are you possibly thinking? He replied, Look, you can't win souls if you stay in the church building. You must interact with your community. I'm leaving the church building to go out and witness to the world. If the church becomes the monastic order rather than a mission movement, it will miss its eternal destiny and fail to carry out Christ's divine commission. That was excellent from Mark Finley.
2: I love the um, illustration that Jesus uses when he speaks of the light of the world. He so tried to penetrate through the spiritual darkness of his time. And I oftentimes think to myself, we can live even in this modern time and age in a cultural darkness, a social darkness where we don't see, perceive the needs of others. We don't see the need of the refugees, of the international students, of those that are perhaps socially considered to be lower, less significant. But I like the way that Christ defines what it means to be that light. When we look at verse sixteen, it says, "Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works Ooh. and glorify your Father in heaven." Isn't it interesting that He relates being that light to good works? And it, uh, I find it very fascinating that throughout His own ministry, He sought to direct the attention of people to His. Heavenly Father, and uh, and so where where people thought that God was distant and removed from our day to day lives, to the issues that confront us, He always pointed to the fact that His Father was a compassionate Father, one who loved people, and whenever He healed, He pointed people to the fact that He and the Father are one. And whenever the father is active and working, so is he active and working in conducting in performing miracles, in bringing healing and restoring uh, people's lives. So it's kind of interesting when that light shines, it is reflected in works, good works, and in engaging in those works, the honor and the glory goes to God because God is a compassionate God, a loving God. And so what better way than to to share that love with others, to carry that message to people, not so much for just preaching, but by demonstrating it through works. So I, I really enjoyed these passages here, particularly the one that we see in Philippians, where Paul prays that you may become blameless and harmless, children of God without fault, in the midst of a crooked and perverse generation among whom you shine as lights
0: in the world. Marek, also, you know, as you pointed out, uh, the good works, it's amazing that uh, in a Christendom, when you're mentioning uh, works, and even if it's that related with the, uh, you know, to do the will of God and to serve God uh, with all your heart and, um, you know, commit yourself to God, uh, as soon as you mention that thing, oh, Sarah, not by works, but by grace, you know, we, everything what we do, uh, you know, we are saved by grace and it's so true, I don't Say anything against that. But the works have a place in our life, in our Christian walk. And that those works can reflect all sorts of things, as you just pointed out, Marek. And even, I would like to say here, even probably it's not necessarily in our study today, keeping God's law, God's commandments. And some people will say, oh, again, through works, you know, no, it's not through work. This is a result. This is who we are as Followers of Jesus as children of God, we are those ones who will not let those things undone. And
1: there is a text that says faith without works is dead. Mm. But I believe it's the motive behind the works because the Pharisees worked and we need to be careful. We're not doing just out of duty. The faith comes first, of course, but the works that we do because we love the one who we have
4: faith in. Well, you know, I think that there are a lot of people that feel that in in order to be effective uh, Christians, to maintain a kind of a holiness, we need to separate ourselves to a certain extent from the world. I'd like us to understand the difference between separation from the world and avoidance of the world. Are they really the same thing? In other words, what did Jesus really mean when he prayed that his disciples would be in the world but not of the world. Um, what do you think of that, Lydia?
3: I would like to read a verse in John seventeen, fifteen to 18, which Jesus says, I do not pray that you should take them out of the world, but that you should keep them from the evil one. They are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. Sanctify them by your truth. Your word is truth. As you send me into the world, I also have sent them into the world. So as we live in the world, we should avoid to be into the love of the world. Also, we should be careful about being contaminated by the world. And uh, that is a very dangerous threat to the whole Christian church. We still must learn to reach the people where they are and to be used by God who wants to take them from where they are and bring them to where they should be. So if I'm living in the world, I shouldn't be let myself be contaminated by what is in the world, but to be a light to shine in the world that people from around me should see in me a follower of God, a light into the world.
2: If I can share this little experience that Richard Stern writes up in the in the book that's called The Hole in Our Gospel, some time back he visited Uganda and he saw the impact that AIDS had on families, and uh, he realised that the uh, people who were very affected by the whole problem of AIDS were actually women who were infected by their husbands and the children who were left orphaned as a result of it. And so he went back to the United States and he wanted to. Appeal to the evangelical Christians to see if they could raise money to assist some of these orphans and and women affected. But before he did, he actually thought that they should evaluate the attitudes that Christians actually hold to the whole problems of AIDS. And it's remarkable when they sent out questionnaires, they realized that only about 3% of people said that they would love to help. 52% fifty two percent said that they would probably or definitely not help. It became very evident that these good evangelical Christians were so concerned that AIDS was uh, would their involvement in, in helping with the AIDS problem would bring the church into disrepute that they felt it wasn't their role to assist. Now I, uh, I think to myself, how easy it is for us to be so judgmental, thinking that AIDS is a judgment of God and so forth, and to refrain from helping people because we don't see that as our role. Would Christ take that same approach? Would he be as, as, as judgmental of pandemics and so forth as, as we tend to be? It reflects very poorly on our Christianity when we fail to see the needs of, of, of these people who are
4: affected in such a dramatic way. Uh, yes, I think that the Christian church, every Christian, in fact, needs to be intimately involved with the needs of your society. You know, we may not be able to always save and help people uh, a thousand kilometres from us, but I think that we need to understand the needs of those around us. Uh, otherwise, how could we act as salt? How can we act as light? I read once of a monk who attempted to achieve holiness be separate from the world. His name was Simon Stelaites, and he dwelt atop a uh, series of pillars for 37 years in a small township outside of Aleppo in Syria. He chose uh, pillars that were left upright from destroyed buildings and temples and uh, placed a little platform on top of the pillar, and some of them uh, were said to be about 15 meters high. Simon Stelaites Uh, as an ascetic monk, spent his days meditating, praying, and contemplating the divine. Often people did gather around the pillar where he stood, they gazed up at this holy man and uh, sometimes calling up to him for advice. And his fame spread throughout the surrounding area until many other monks imitated his lifestyle. And one basic tenet of these ascetics was that uh, inner oneness with God was achieved by this sort of isolation. Now, I'm not going to question his dedication, his quest for righteousness, but may I ask, to what extent can you positively influence those around you by living in a bubble or strict isolation or seclusion? What do you think, panel? It's amazing. I I thought to myself, uh,
2: what sort of gospel account would we have today if Christ chose to do that? If he just decided to spend the three years of his ministry sending up setting, sitting up somewhere in the, on a high pillar, quite distant from the people, from their needs and so forth, uh, it's such a contrast to the example that Christ has given to us. You know, Christ spoke of oneness with his Father, but how was that oneness reflected? It was reflected in his ministry of compassion, mingling, mixing with people, healing, meeting their needs, feeding them. What a wonderful example. So very, very different to the idea of of removing ourselves, of becoming isolated to reach oneness with God.
1: I was just um, going to mention on what you read about the man on the pole and saying, you know, how would it be if Jesus did that? Jesus came to touch people, literally. He touched their hearts, he touched their minds, but he also touched their bodies and healed. He couldn't have done that from the top of a, a tower.
4: The response to Jesus' ministry was especially challenging. While he was trying to bring out the very best in people, uh, even in circumstances that were unusually challenging, we know that it wasn't too easy because the response was sometimes uh, a detriment to his actual purpose in spreading the gospel. Luke's gospel records the reaction of some of those who heard him address them and Nick, uh, could you share with us Luke chapter 4, verse
0: 22? Sure. Um, uh, keep in mind on this one also that in, in Luke chapter 4, we can see here Jesus returning back to the place where he grew up. And, uh, you know, those people who may um, rejected him at some point. But in verse 22 it says here, Will says, So all bore witness to him and marveled. Uh, the gracious words which proceed out of his mouth. And they said, is this not Joseph's son? And in, in the Gospel of uh, John, we can read this in John 1, 17, for the law was given through Moses, but grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. And when you hear that thing, gracious words coming out of the mouth of Jesus, Even towards or before those people who may have a a judgmental attitude towards you. If you speak the words of God, you know, in a gracious way, you'll touch the hearts of even those people who may not like you, who may be against you. Because it's not your words, but are the words of God through your mouth.
4: You know, it is once said that uh, the children kind of see through people, don't they? I I noticed that uh, with Jesus, the children came running up to him and wanted to sit on his lap and on his knee. Children just don't do that unless they feel that the person is a welcoming person. And uh, this sort of demonstrates how carefully personal Jesus was uh, with all those that he met. I think of two examples. Imagine what sheer encouragement Jesus brought to the lives of. uh, two unlikely people, very unlikely people, Uh, the sheer encouragement that he brought to the lives of a Roman centurion and a Jewish scribe. Helen, could you comment on the healing of uh, the centurion's servant uh, in Matthew 8, verse 5 to 10 for us, please?
1: Yes, absolutely. Um, Jesus healed the uh, centurion's servant. And he actually demonstrated tremendous faith, says when Jesus returned to Capernaum, a Roman officer came and pleaded with him, Lord, my young servant lies in bed, paralyzed and in terrible pain. And Jesus said, I will come and heal him. The officer said, Lord, I'm not worthy to have you come into my home. Just say the word from where you are and my servant will be healed. I know this because I am under the authority of my superior officers and have authority over my soldiers. I only need to say, go, they go, come, and they come. And if I say to my slaves, do this, they do it. And when Jesus heard this, he was amazed. Turning to those who were following him, he said, I tell you the truth, I haven't seen faith like this in all of Israel. You know, that Roman centurion could have put up lots of obstacles that would stand between him and Jesus. It could have been pride, doubt, money, language, distance, time, self-sufficiency, power, or even race. But he didn't. He, if he did not let these barriers block his approach to Jesus, we don't need to either. And what keeps us from Christ? Maybe we need to think about that. He was also he was called a centurion because his career was a military officer in the Roman army. He had control over 100 soldiers, and Roman soldiers of all people were hated by the Jews for their oppression, their control, and their ridicule. Yet this man's genuine faith amazed Jesus. You know, this hated Gentiles' faith put to shame the pompous piety of many of the Jewish religious leaders. Jesus told the crowd that many religious Jews who should be in the kingdom would be excluded because of their lack of faith entrenched in religious traditions, they could not accept Christ and his new message. We ourselves must be careful not to become so set in religious habits or tradition that we expect God to work only in specific ways. Don't limit God by your mindset and your lack of faith. Mm. It was a wonderful example. Jesus' statement was revol- to the commander was revolutionary. Just think of how he must have felt when Jesus claimed that he had not found that degree of faith, even in Israel.
4: Wow. And to a rejected person, a person sort of an outcast in his time, to warm his heart in that way, just tells us how Jesus actually related to people, um, showing them kindness and warmth and welcoming them into the fold of God. Um, I think of a Jewish scribe when... uh, it, what his thoughts would have been when Jesus gave him a uh, remarkable and surprising reply. Marek, you want to talk to us about, uh, about uh, Mark chapter 12, verse 34? Yeah,
2: I, I love the interchange between uh, the teacher of the law here and, and Jesus Christ. Uh, he was obviously a, an observer. He was watching the debate that was taking place between Jesus and, uh, and some of the teachers of the law and, uh, and he decided to chip in with a question. And so he poses a question to Jesus and says, uh, uh, Jesus, which one is, is the greatest of the commandments? And so Jesus replies in very simple words. He says, love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind, with all your strength. And the second law is love your neighbor as yourself. There is no commandment greater than these. Now, what I find very interesting is that at that point, the scribe commends Jesus on his reply. He says, well said, teacher. And and then, of course, the conversation goes on, and he says, yes, you are right in saying that God is one and so forth. And in commenting on Jesus' summary of the two laws, he then makes a very powerful statement where Christ responds and says, when Jesus saw what he had answered, and that he had answered wisely, he told him, you are not far from the kingdom of God. Here is Christ speaking words of encouragement to those who may not have a complete understanding of his word, but he is able to speak to them in such a encouraging way, commending them for their willingness uh, to express themselves and so forth. That, you know, it, it facilitates growth. And so I love that interchange. You can see how each one of them complemented the other, but it was uh, a wonderful opportunity for growth and uh,
4: increased understanding. You know, many of us, just uh, when we get the opportunity to teach or to share, just barge in and uh, <laughs> want to just tell, tell, tell all the time. But it's good to actually first stop and assess the needs of uh, of a person and to Perhaps offer a compliment, get close to, let them be warmed by the love of uh, of jesus and his uh, and his character. you know i it makes me think channel uh, of a friend of mine he used to pray in a group with us, and I always remember him ending his prayer in one specific way. He was an afrikaans speaking boy and he used to say, hier die Gesundheit von Jesus," which means Um, Lord, please give us the disposition of Jesus. I can still hear his voice uh, today. He's long gone from us. But, you know, for us to emulate the disposition or the kindly manner of Jesus, there's a lot for us still to learn in this respect. May I say that Jesus worked to relieve every case of suffering that he saw, every single case. He had little money to give, I imagine. But he often denied himself of food in order to relieve those who appeared more needy than he. When others spoke harshly to the poor, Jesus sought out these very ones and spoke to them words of encouragement. He would quietly place his own meal, I imagine, in their hands. And as he relieved their sufferings, the truths that he taught were associated with his acts of mercy and uh, were thus riveted in the memory. He made an impression by his kindness and by his warmth. And I think there are some vital clues here in God's word to teach us about sharing our faith with others in the most appealing way. And about how best to relate with those in need around us. Nick, uh, Isaiah prophesies that Jesus would deal pretty tenderly with people in Isaiah 42 verse 3. Want to share that with us? Yes,
0: sure. It reads that um, a bruised reed he will not break, and a smoking flax he will not quench. He will bring forth justice for truth. And when our words are encouraging and filled with grace, they have a positive influence on the lives of others. Isaiah's uh, prophetic words revealed that Jesus would not break a bruised read or um, quench as mocking flax. Jesus was so compassionate that he was careful not to bruise unnecessarily someone who was just coming to faith or to quench the slightest embers of faith in their hearts. Jesus was so compassionate towards everybody and as um, we mentioned it a bit earlier Talking about those four S's, you know, how Jesus socialized, sympathized, serving people in order to save them. Jesus won their confidence by that approach. And that's so important because too many times we may lose opportunities to share with people the good news.
1: I'm thinking right now of my nephew. He was a bruised reed. He loved the Lord so much and then sadly he, um, he went away. It says in what you just read out, Nick, that a bruised reed he will not break. And towards the end when he was dying of cancer, he gave his whole life back to God. And that was such a blessing to see and, and such a privilege. So, yeah, that's a true statement.
4: Yes. You know, the very manner how the message of salvation is communicated makes a tremendous difference on how it is received by the listener, doesn't
3: it? Yes, and we read in Colossians chapter 4, verse 5 and 6, Be wise in the way you act towards outsiders. Make the most of every opportunity. Let your conversation be always full of grace, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how to answer everyone. So we talked about that before, about Jesus' examples, that he had only encouraging words, way of speaking filled with grace, and his gracious words touched responsive chords in people's hearts. So we have to learn from others and care for others to see in them the need of physical need, mental, emotional, and spiritual need.
4: I've heard it said that uh, someone might say that truth is truth and uh, you just need to preach it, take it or leave it. There's no time for niceties. We live in the end times now. Everyone just needs to hear the hard truth, like it or not, um, and that's it. What's wrong with the statement, uh, panel?
0: First of all, well, uh, truth is truth. You know, you cannot change it. And uh, But the way you say it, uh, it may make a difference uh, in, in somebody's life. And um, in the end, truth, We know that it's like a sword, you know, with two-age sword. It can cut, you know, it can separate. And we should allow that to God and to the Holy Spirit to do the work in someone's life. But we, as co-workers, to say so, in the vineyard of God, we should do the best we can, not to bruise anything, you know what I mean, and to uh, carefully handle, if you like, Every little bit, even as I said, if you go to uh, cultivate some things, you know, you don't want just to trash here and there, throw it into the baskets, you know, with the fruits or so on. You know, you you treat with all the grace possible. And that's what I learned from this statement, um, Will, that we can uh, be much better witnesses or servants of the Lord with a good approach.
3: I love the passage in Testimonies, Volume 9, which uh, it says... If we would humble ourselves before God and be kind and courteous and tender-hearted and pitiful, there would be 100 conversions to the truth where now there is only one.
4: That is so true. You know, the Christian church has used modern technology to develop amazing, even spectacular methods to communicate the gospel to the world. You know, you don't have to go far to find centers church centers packed to the brim with the latest professional media, DVDs, CDs, multiple projectors, whole Bible study series for evangelistic purposes, ready for a young evangelist, for example, to utilize and make a real splash in any city. We've basically got hundreds of very good programs, expertly prepared, ready for launch anywhere, but we need far more than just equipment and programs. You know, I thought one night if you were a billionaire and you could print Bible study series or DVDs by the billions and just distribute one set to every home worldwide, do you think that that would evangelize and finish the great work that God requires of us? Is there more needed than just equipment? What do you think, Marek? Well, that's kind of interesting.
2: I always think of the words of uh, St. Francis of Assisi, who said, preach the gospel always, when necessary, use words. <laughs> <laughs> Just imagine. I mean, we can print leaflets. We can print DVDs and what have you. But, you know, according to to, 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 to this this concept here, preach the gospel, but use words only when necessary. Obviously, there's a lot more to the sharing of the gospel than preaching. We need to touch lives. We need to do it in a personal way. I think friendship, uh, evangelism, and, and and reaching people in, at the level of their needs is most, most important. I love the statement that Mark Finley, where he says, our Lord's method of evangelism goes beyond memorized speeches and uh, canned presentations. It is as rich and uh, dynamic as life itself. Every day we rub shoulders with people who have all kinds of needs, physical, mental, emotional, and spiritual. The Savior is eager to meet those needs through us as we show concern for people's loneliness, sorrow, heartache, and as we show an interest in their joys, hopes, and dreams. You know, we're living in the middle of a, of a pandemic where people are so isolated, where where fear plays such a big role. They have a lack of contact. They're uh, sometimes in desperate financial need. You know, preaching to them, uh, yes, brings hope and possibly points them in, in, in the right direction, but how more important it is to address the issue of loneliness, mm. how important it is to share a, uh, a meal. Uh, we have recently been involved in distributing food packages to students who are isolated, who are in financial need, and it's interesting when you meet these people and when they f- when, when they comment, they say, you not only care for our physical needs, but you've also extended, you, you've also addressed some of our spiritual needs. You not only deliver the food, but you deliver it with a smile on your face. And that makes such a big difference to us.
0: Yes, Marek. And just as you said um, many times, you know, people can ask that question after you You do the good works to say so. They say, who are you? Uh, They ask about Jesus. Who is this? Is this not the son of Joseph? Who are you? And that can speak more than a thousand words, you know, Mm. Uh, when uh, you show the gospel through your uh, life. And in the Bible says that we are a living testimony.
4: You know, panel, if there is one passage in Scripture that keeps churning in my soul, then it's uh, Jesus' words suggesting the question, where were you when I needed you? And this is in Matthew uh, chapter 25. Nick, you want to read that with us?
0: Yes, I mean, it's a, a bit of a long passage here. listener. If you like to turn into Matthew 25, read from verse 31 to 46. And it says here, when the Son of Man comes in his glory and all the holy angels with him, then He will sit on the throne of his glory. All the nations will be gathered before him and he will separate them one from another as shepherds divide his sheep from the goats. And he will set the sheep on his right hand, but the goats on the left hand. Then the king will say to those on his right, Come, you blessed of my father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you. From the foundation of the world. For I was hungry and you gave me food. I was thirsty and you gave me drink. I was stranger and you took me in. I was naked and you clothed me. I was sick and you visited me. I was in prison and you came to me. Then the righteous will answer him saying, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you? Thirsty and give you drink? When did we see you a stranger and take you in? Or naked and clothed you? Or when did we see you sick or in prison and come to you? And the king will answer and say to them, Assuredly, I say to you, inasmuch as you did it to one of the least of these, my brethren, you did it to me. Then he will also say to those who are on the left hand, Depart from me, you cursed, into the everlasting fire, prepare for the devil and his angels. And he will say the same thing. I was hungry and uh, you didn't give me food, I was thirsty, you didn't give me a drink and a stranger, you didn't take me in naked and you didn't clothe me sick in prison and you didn't visit me. And they also will answer and say, Lord, when did we see you? Hungry, thirsty, stranger, naked, sick, in prison and did not minister to you? Then he will answer them saying, Assuredly, I say to you, Inasmuch as you did not do this, to one of this list of of this, you did not do it to me. And this will go away in the everlasting punishment But the righteous into the eternal life. And just a very short comment here. We learn about that this will go into the everlasting punishment, not punishing. Because many people have idea that people are going to suffer forever and forever for eternity there in hell. But this passage gives us the clue, say that punishment, it will be finished, you know, with the second coming of Jesus.
4: So my question would really be for a denomination to concentrate on the publication of documents or DVDs or whatever, for to concentrate on proclamation and preaching and teaching without uh, balancing it with caring for those that are in need, is there something missing there? A worldwide church should be one that is concentrating on both teaching, preaching, and ministry to the sick, don't you think? Mm,
2: Absolutely. It's, It's interesting when we reflect on Matthew 25, the passage that you've just read, Nick. It seems that it's a lot more difficult to walk the walk rather than just talk the talk. In that very final judgment seat, it literally comes down to what we did, to our actions, how we cared for those who were hungry, for those that were in need, those who were unwell, the sick, those who were in prison. That's that. That's what's highlighted here by Christ. I was I was looking through the book uh, Ministry of Healing, and I came across this statement, which I really like. That I would I would like to share with you. It says, how little do we enter into sympathy with Christ on that which should be the strongest bond of union between us and him. Compassion for the deprived, for the guilty, suffering souls, for those who are dead in trespass and sins. You know, isn't that amazing that that should be the strongest bond of union between us and Christ? It's fascinating. uh, There is this other statement here. Many have no faith in God and have lost confidence in men, but they appreciate acts of sympathy and helpfulness. As they see one with no inducement of earthly praise or compensation coming to their homes, ministering to the sick, feeding the hungry, clothing the naked, comforting the sad, and tenderly pointing all to him, as they see this, their hearts are touched, gratitude springs up, faith is kindled, they see that God cares for them, and they are prepared to listen as his word is opened. It's wonderful that we, if we follow this unselfish ministry of Jesus, the ministry that he so clearly demonstrated to us uh, while on earth, it will open hearts, it will break prejudices, It will create receptivity to the gospel. And as a church, we are his representatives here. And uh, I hope, I hope that as we follow his examples, that bond of unity with Christ will have such impact on our communities that the actions of love and kindness will prepare the way, pave the way for, uh, for hearts to receive the gospel. wonderful revelation of the love and compassion of of the Savior and of God himself.
3: Jesus is our example in all these stories that we we talk today. And uh, to me is to live a self-centered life and uh, neglect the physical, mental, emotional, and spiritual needs of others is to risk eternal loss. So in all these examples that we uh, talk today those who give their lives for something more than themselves are commended by their Lord and welcomed into eternity, while those who selfishly pursue their own agendas and neglect the needs of others are condemned
1: by their Lord.
0: Mm. Helen?
1: Uh, just to finish off, if we are eager to walk in the footsteps of Jesus, we should consider concrete ways to meet the community's needs. And beat them in his name. If we're going to be followers of Jesus, let's love as he loved, minister as he ministers, and serve as he served.
0: Beautiful. Marek. Nick, I'm going to
2: use the words of Philippians chapter 2. If you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, if any comfort from his love, If any fellowship with his spirit, if any tenderness and compassion, then make my joy complete by being like-minded. I love that
0: passage. Amen. Wonderful. Will, thank you very much for putting together this Bible study. What would you uh, close with? Well, I'd like to just say that, you know,
4: when Jesus, when Moses asked God, show me your glory. He expects to see God pass him with dazzling brilliance, a thousand times brighter than the sun. And uh, surely by the glory of God, we, we mean his splendor, don't we? And yet God declares, I will make all my goodness pass before thee. I will proclaim the name of the Lord before thee. And I will be gracious uh, to whom I will be gracious and show mercy on whom I will show mercy. The glory of God. He's not the brilliance, but his character. And uh, the Bible says the Lord passed by before him and proclaimed, Lord, the Lord God, merciful and gracious, long-suffering and abundant in goodness, in truth, keeping mercy for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin. And by that will, and that will by no means clear the guilty. The character was revealed in the life of Christ as well.
0: Mm. Beautiful. Thank you very much all of you uh, from the panel here for sharing uh, today and um, thank you for listening to us and keep in mind that Jesus' method alone will give true success in reaching out to people. And remember those four S's that Jesus mingled with people, he sympathized with men, desired their good, he ministered to their needs and won their confidence then he bade them come follow me then socialize sympathize serve and save through the blood of Jesus may God richly bless you had have a wonderful uh, time and see you next time we'll close with a prayer Marek can you please just pray with us dear
2: Lord as we reflect on the life of Christ we are so aware that the example that he gave to us, change the whole course of history. Lord, may we emulate that life in all that we do. And if we have been touched by his love, touched by his compassion, may we be channels by which this love will be demonstrated to our communities, to the individuals in our homes, in our churches. Pray that your spirit will transform us and may the, that uh, love be the the power that will change our communities, the world that we live in. The world is in desperate need of the ministry of Jesus. May we be the means and the tools by which we can minister to
0: others. We pray in his name. Amen. Amen. And from the Bible study team, until next time, don't forget, keep walking in the footsteps of Jesus.